0: Hey, I'm Russ Bailey, and you're listening to Screenplaying, the podcast where I interview working screenwriters, and I ask them how they got their start in Hollywood. Today, I'm with my friend, Jonathan Fernandez. Jonathan, how are you? I am very good. Good to see you. So good to see you, too. I I was thinking back about it. You and I used to do hikes together.
1: We would do the classic movie star hike up in uh, Griffith Park.
0: I feel like that's the ultimate test, like, you know, to to see if like a... Hollywood friendship or an L.A. friendship is going to work out or not. You know, you, you take somebody on, you know, three, four mile hike, you know, you put them through the ringer. And if you're still breathing, you are you must be friends. Exactly. For our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about some of the projects that you've worked on? Yes.
1: Uh, I got my start working for Roger Corman, the legendary low budget producer. I literally was his assistant. Uh, I answered his telephone. I picked up his dry cleaning, uh, did whatever needed to be done. And the first movie I ever wrote uh, was called Crisis in the Kremlin, where I predicted the downfall of the Soviet Union in a Roger Corman movie. I ended up getting interviewed by CNN and NPR, and it was all because Roger Corman said to me that I could shoot anything I wanted, but there would only be four English speakers in Moscow. And so that was the first movie I wrote. I then went on to work for another legendary producer, Dino De Laurentiis. And I ended up as the executive producer of the Kurt Russell film Breakdown. Mm -hmm. So that that opened number one at the box office, uh, released by Paramount. That was an amazing experience. And from there, I went back to writing. So first movie I ever sold, first movie I ever had produced was Y2K where I predicted the end of the world in a NBC TV movie year 2000. Uh, As you can see, I'm very accurate in all of my predictions. (laughs) Uh, And then from there, I wrote a whole bunch of TV movies. I was a, I was a writer on Star Trek enterprise. Uh, I then went on and wrote a film with uh, Andy Garcia and Ray Romano called Rob the mob. And I've been on the board of directors for the writers guild for six years. And uh, now I'm currently teaching at the American Film Institute, second year screenwriting at AFI. So I've done a whole bunch of things ranging from TV to TV movies. I recently sold a pilot to a streamer. So I've done all sorts of different things in all sorts of different ways and had a big adventure along the way.
0: Did you grow up in Los Angeles or where did you grow up?
1: I was born in New York City, went to uh, elementary, junior high school and high school in New Jersey. Uh, and uh, I couldn't get out of New Jersey fast enough. I love New Jersey. I love New Jersey. I can do my best Jersey accent. Uh, but no, I did not grow up in Los Angeles at all. In fact, I had never met a writer until I went to college. So that was just a baffling that I figured the actors were all just ad-libbing. I had no idea what
0: was going on. At what point did you know that you wanted to be a writer? Where did that part come from?
1: So I had taken playwriting courses in college. I wrote a college thesis about uh scientists on broad on stage. So I always was flirting with writing. Uh, you know, and again, I first job I was writing a script for Roger Corman. Uh, but it wasn't until I finally got an agent and I finally sold something right around must have been Right around when I turned 30, you know, everyone has this image of screenwriters. If you're over the age of 22, you're 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 old, and you you're not going to make it. But I can tell you that the average age of a new member of the Writers Guild is mid 30s. It's like 34, 35. It's a lot older than you would think. And I think that's really partly because you need the skill. I think you need the time. I think you need the the life experiences. All of those things. So. Uh, there's time. And then, you know, I've had friends who've joined the guild in their 40s and even their 50s. So, uh, you know, I just think everyone's on their own time schedule.
0: Jonathan, I'm 35. So are you telling me that this is my year?
1: This is your year. This is the moment. This is this is it. This is that fabulous moment. 35. 35 was a great year for me. So I, Thanks, I, I think we're going to have a good year, 35.
0: So out of curiosity, it sounds like you got your start, you were working as an assistant. And then did he ask you to write a spec? Did you pitch to him? How did did you go from working for him as an assistant to being a writer? So
1: working for Roger, uh, this kind of illustrates a bunch of my different points, which is when people ask me what they should do, they're starting out, what's the best job to get? And the answer is anything you can get that's involved in Hollywood. So if it's an assistant to a producer, if it's an assistant at an agency, if it's a PA on set, if it's a writer's room PA, any job that you can do that puts you in the game, you should take it. And so the answer was, uh, it was a Friday afternoon, Roger had just done a deal with Moss Films, which uh, which was the Soviet era studio in moscow and it was their first kind of working with a non like going hollywood so roger had made a deal and i again had been involved with that every step of the way and so when to me would you like to go home early today on a friday i thought great and he said how'd you like to write a script i said great and so he told me what the parameters were and he said to me just have a first draft done by monday and i'll pay you five hundred dollars now even back then, five hundred dollars was not anything for a screenplay. But I got five hundred dollars non-union. That's why it's better to work union. And then I got paid five hundred dollars for it being uh, produced. So that's how it
0: came about. He needed a screenplay, and that was uh, that's what I did. I wrote it. Was that a feature length screenplay that you wrote in one weekend? What type of what type of length film are we talking about here? I, it was definitely
1: feature length. I'm sure the draft I turned in was somewhere between 80 and 90 pages. Like that was the kind, like you look, Like the great thing about working for Roger Corman, especially back then was you learned these kind of basic rules, right? The running time of the film, What what makes a feature? Well, back then the definition was, is it 80 minutes or more? And as Roger would always ask, is that including front titles, front credits, and end titles. And so, you know, we had to hit 80 minutes, you know? So I bet the script was 78 pages, 80 pages, somewhere in that range.
0: Wow. Yeah. I love
1: that. True, true story, true story. We had a film that only ran like 75 minutes, right? But again, they had to hit 80. So someone decided to stick the O-Box 81 minutes, even though the film was only 75 minutes, So when the person at they sold the film to HBO and when they sold the film to HBO, they saw it said 81 minutes. So, of course, the person assumed the film was 81 minutes long. Well, it turned out the film was only 75 minutes and HBO ran black for six minutes. HBO was not amused that they were running black for six minutes before someone realized what had happened.
0: That's That's incredible. I mean, whatever it takes, right?
1: So I think someone realized that if, you know, your film was 75 minutes and you called it 81, was anyone really timing it?
0: Well, it turns out HBO was. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of important once it's, you know, on television running. (laughs) Yes. Amazing. Now, before you took on that first job, did you go to film school or what did you study? Did you study writing? Did you study filmmaking? So the truth
1: of the matter is, I did not study filmmaking. I uh, was a history and science major. My grandfather, when I was a freshman, said, you're going to be a doctor. And I thought that was a great plan until a friend of mine got sick. And I went to go visit her in the hospital. And I realized I hate hospitals. I hate doctors. I hate sick people. I hated the entire experience. So that wasn't a good plan. And then I took a lot of playwriting courses in college. But no, I to film school. And I always consider Roger Corman and you know making 24 low-budget movies a year is my film school.
0: Yeah. That's the best possible film school you could have.
1: And I literally did everything there. I started off as his assistant. I ended up running the marketing department. So we were doing posters. We were doing trailers. We were doing video boxes. You name it, we were doing it. I ended up running his home video company. Uh, I wrote films there. I ended up directing different things. So it was a great film school. And you really were experiencing, you know, script to post-production, not a joke, 24 times a year. So we were doing 12 films domestically at his Venice studio. And we were doing 12 films foreign in the Philippines and Peru and, uh, you know, all over the in Russia. So it really was a great experience that way where I learned everything and you saw what worked and what didn't work and what actors were great and which didn't quite work out. So it was just a fabulous film school.
0: Today, do you consider yourself to be a screenwriter? Do you consider yourself to be a director, a filmmaker, a producer? How do you view yourself now?
1: So that's a great question. I'm definitely primarily a screenwriter. So that's number one. Uh, but, you know, I think. Again, every writer also needs to be a producer. You can't just rely on your agents or your managers or whoever you have to be thinking, how am I going to put this all together? So I'm definitely a producer. uh, And I would say I'm an aspiring director. I, I, I wrote and directed one documentary short called Just Giselle, which had its premiere at the ARPA International Film Festival on Hollywood Boulevard. So that was exciting. But that was really my one short documentary short that I did I'm trying to do more and that is an aspirational goal going forward
0: I've met directors that start out as directors and then they have to backtrack and learn how to write uh, yeah versus again having the experience that you have already as a writer as a storyteller just
1: well I I think it's for me uh and what I always tell the students I is I think today, right now, is the most exciting time ever to be a film student. Why? Because when I was starting out, I needed Roger Corman to provide the sets, to provide the cameras, to provide the film stock, to pay for it, to get developed, the lights, all of it. He really was the capitalist in that he owned the means of production. I did not have the ability to go and make a movie. And, you know, there's all those famous stories about, you know, directors back in the day who went and, you know, put it on their credit card and made a film for $80,000. And that was like the exception. Like there definitely were people who did that. However, today with an iPhone and your laptop, you can really go make a film. And so a friend of mine, who teaches directing at AFI is like, there's no reason for you to spend 50, 60, 70, $100,000 on a short. You can really do a short, right? For a couple hundred bucks. And it's going to look fantastic. You know, it's going to look amazing. And when you think about all this technology that all of us have, you look at what the Beatles recorded their music on these 8-track tapes. You have better equipment in your home studio today. So clearly it's not the equipment that's preventing you from being the Beatles. You know, like so you can go use your phone or laptop and make whatever you want to do for really not much money, for an amount of money that you know, like if as long as you can buy pizza and beer for your buddies, you can go make a movie.
0: I love that. Uh connected to that for the aspiring screenwriter or for the aspiring filmmaker. Do you think that there is a path right now? So should somebody make a short film first then a feature film? Uh should somebody be trying to get a, show, a job on a TV show? I know you told me like do whatever you can, but looking back, do you think there or not even looking back, looking now, looking at 2022, do you think that there's a path so I think that's a great
1: question, and the short answer is no. There's not one path, you know. I, I, you, you put a hundred people who work in Hollywood—writers, directors, actors, producers—and you're going to hear a hundred different stories. That said, I do think that there are certain paths that are uh, tried and true. Let's just call them that. So number one is uh, you got to have a job in the industry whatever your job is, that's what you need to be doing. You should be working as a set PA, working as a writer's room PA, working as a caterer so that you can find out when the PA job opens. When people say, oh, I can't get a job as a PA, it's like they always need someone to do catering. And if you're that unbelievably helpful person, who is always there with a cup of coffee and blah, 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 then they're going to go and you show up on time and you're doing your job and you don't complain and you're willing to do whatever needs to be done. You're going to quickly get promoted from set caterers assistant to set PA. And then if you're the best set PA, you're going to get into the writer's room and that's where you're really going to be getting uh, the inside scoop because if you're in the writer's room, you're going to know where episodes are going. And many writer's assistants end up getting the freelance episodes. And so you're getting that experience. So that's one half of it. And then the other half is you need to be writing. Um, the first, I wrote my first kind of what I considered professional quality script, and I sent it out to different managers. And the manager said to me, this is really great writing. What else do you have? And my answer was, I didn't have anything I wanted to show him. And he said to me, I don't take writers with only one sample. And at the time I was like, rah, 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 he's a jerk. I hate him. But in retrospect, he's right. Like, so so my answer is twofold. One is get whatever job you can at an agency on set, wherever it is that you're going to have access to working professionals. And then the second is. Write, 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 and write some more. You cannot have enough. And most of my early script new writers' early scripts suck. They're bad. They're really terrible. And so if you know that's true, then you gotta keep doing it. And even now it's like what it's hard for people to accept is writing is rewriting. Your first draft is bad. I have read first drafts by super talented people, and they're bad. They know they're bad. They're going to make them great. Um, But that is really the trick is, you know, rewriting, 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 rewriting. And, you know, what I try and tell my students is they're turning in pages to me kind of raw. And I'm like, I wouldn't even show my wife these pages. So it's that rewriting process that's going to make it better and better and better. So the advice is, get a job, whatever you can in Hollywood, even if it's as as the caterer's assistant. And then two, write, write, and then write some more so that you really are building up a body of work. And I think that's partly the answer of why 35 is it's going to take you 10 years, you know, and that's the whole, you know, 10,000 hours and all of that kind of stuff. It takes a long
0: time. That is awesome advice. I love that. Um connected to that, what is your writing and what is your rewriting process? What does a day in the life look like of Jonathan?
1: So uh, you know, years ago my uh wife wrote an article, and I, I know of her watching me, of what percentage of every day the typical writer spends on writing versus on the business of writing. And you know, you're doing both, you know? So today I did a follow-up email with a producer who I had met. Um, You know, I I try and keep my mornings pretty sacred. So in other words, uh, those are really good hours for me. The other really good hours for me are at night. Like I'm really good, like after dinner, say nine to midnight. And so I really try and do that. I think writers sometimes, think that they can write 16 hours a day. And maybe Stephen King does. I don't know. But it's just, it's not what I can do. I think that you need to say, I'm going to have two or three good hours, and then that's great. And then there are other things that need to be done. You know, you—you need to have a life. You need to exercise. You need to eat. You need to see friends. You need to call your agents. You need to be moving the ball forward. And I've been in the writers guild now for 25 years and the people who have long-term careers are always moving the next project forward. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and there he was, you know, he's a person who's, you know, written a film that grossed over a billion dollars and he was with a Oscar-winning writer and they were going out with a project and they were still pounding the pavement and they didn't sell it. Now, they didn't sell the project, but they're still out there hustling. And that's what you need to do. You need to constantly be pushing the ball forward. So again, uh, once you can afford not to have that kind of day job, it's then it's you're writing and then you're also trying to like, how am I putting my producer hat on? Uh, the joke is I always used to think of myself as like a small business. So there's the development like, okay, I got to come up with the ideas. There's the factory. I got to actually write the ideas. There's the sales department, you know, like got to actually sell the material. There's the training department, which is a key, key role in uh, any screenwriter's life. Can you collect the money? That's, that's important. So all of those are different aspects of your life as a professional writer. I don't know any writer who just kind of sits at a desk and just comes up with ideas and you look at the mega successful writers, the Shonda Rhymes of the world. And as talented as she is as a writer, she's just as talented as a businesswoman. She's an entrepreneur. She's someone who's looking out for her career. She's coming up with ideas and then executing those ideas. You know, so she has real management skills. You know, she has the ability to both interface with the studio, with Netflix, but she's also got you know a lot of people reporting to her. So you need both skills. You know, you can't be Shonda Rhimes and just be a talented writer. You know, you need to have real business skills. Which, again, I don't know her at all, but they must be through the roof.
0: I never got to meet her personally, but her office was in the same writer's courtyard as my office. Oh, Gower. So. I would watch her be one of the first people to come in every day. And I was always shocked because sometimes I would I'd be a light, late night writer too. Like I would hang out 9, 10, 11 o'clock at the studio. I would be leaving at 11. She would be leaving at 11. She, right. again, a champion, <laughs> a work marathoner. Because, I mean, she's personally touching multiple shows at the same time because she values... Uh, the writing aspect, and then, like you said, also the management aspect of it.
1: Right. So you look at a Norman Lear, you look at Ashonda Rhimes, and it's a really weird skill set because she is both a super talented writer, unbelievably talented writer, and yet also like one of the world's, one of Hollywood's greatest producers. So those are totally different skill sets, uh, and yet she obviously excels at both. So, you know, a lot of times you meet writers and they just want to be like, oh, I just want to be holed up in my office. And even, you know, back in the day, and this life doesn't really exist, but when I started out, you could really make a living as a screenwriter. But you look at the screenplays that are getting made now, and they're like Marvel movies, and they're really collective. You know, you have to know what the Marvel universe is. I guarantee you're working with all those actors. You're doing all of those different things. So you need to be able to work well uh, in a group setting. Yeah.
0: I I think that's incredibly important to think about too. I think I, I used to really look at myself as a lone wolf, like I'm going to sit and get this thing done, but it's not how it works. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a novelist, like you still are connected to other people.
1: I, I think one of the things that young screenwriters sometimes forget, like you know, I tell my screenwriters, the bar isn't like, can you write a 120-page script beginning, middle, and end? I, I, I can roll a bowling ball down Wilshire Boulevard and find thousands of really good screenwriters. So then the question becomes, okay, well, what gets you hired? And in my opinion, the answer is voice. Do you have a unique voice? Do you have a unique take? It's not enough to just say, oh, this is a writer who can get me in act one and act two and act three. It's like you look at Sean and they're her unique voice. You look at Quentin Tarantino's script and it's his unique voice. You need that skill set. You need your voice. You also need to be competent. And I think the way you become competent is by over and over and over again doing the, you know, a dozen one hour scripts, writing. You know, 20 features, you know, and then you start to get the skills.
0: How do you think a writer finds their voice or knows what their voice is?
1: So I think most writers start out copying someone, right? And so I I, I often use uh, the Picasso example. So Pablo Picasso, the famed Spanish painter, if you look at his early works, his father, who is an art teacher, would literally say, okay. Uh, copy a Goya, ca- copy of Velazquez. So he literally learned by copying the great masters. Okay? So he had the ability to draw a Goya, a Velazquez painting as good as Velazquez. He was amazing as a mimic. And then so he understood the rules, he understood the history, the canon, and then he would break free of that and then he created all the art that we think of as 20th century art. Many uh Screenwriters, uh, you know, I, I, I'm stunned by the number of young screenwriters who don't know the canon. What do I mean by that? You are coming to me, and I'm a studio executive. I'm a director. I'm an actor, and I, uh, I, you have an idea for a horror movie. You need to know the entire canon. You need to know these different horror movies. Is this social horror? Or is this kind of slasher horror? And you need to be able to articulate and put that into you know, where this fits into the canon, where this fits into the history of film. Because the people you're talking to know film, if they're sitting down to talk horror, they know it better. These, these are people with PhDs in it. These are the people who love this, who've made it their life work. And so uh, I, I think the answer is you really have to know The answer is you have to be expert in your field. You have to be tops. You have to really know this backwards and forwards. So if you're writing a war film, I should not be having to say to you, have you seen Patton? Have you seen Gallipoli? You should know those films inside and out. And that's the trick to really getting at that top level.
0: I'm somebody that loves sci-fi, but my expertise is comedy. Like I studied at the Groundlings. I have spent my writing career writing comedy. So I'm going to keep doing that. Like that's what I know.
1: Yeah, and you look at Shonda Rhimes. She's not a doctor. She wrote, you know, films for Disney before. You know, she did her big Grey's Anatomy. So you, you can you can break out. You know, there's no there's no. And sometimes if you bring a fresh perspective, you know, she obviously brought a fresh perspective to the Grey's Anatomy to the medical genre. So you don't have to be stuck in one genre. But again, your voice, voice happens when you are writing honestly, when you are writing your truth. You are not copying someone else, but when you're writing your voice, your truth, how you see the world. And so that is unique to you. That is Russell can't do it, Jonathan can't do it. You as the writer, that's what you do. And so there comes that point when you've been copying, copying, and then you suddenly break free. Now That's not to say that, you know, being able to write in someone else's voice is a huge part of what TV writing is. Like you, uh, like you name your favorite TV show and you, if you write Tony Soprano wrong, it's wrong. It's just not the right. So there's, that is a skill too, being able to mimic, being able to get the voice right. But it's the part that people are really looking for is the fresh uh, opinion, the fresh way you see the world, that's, what's going to get you hired.
0: Teaching at AFI, having a room full of young, ambitious screenwriters, has that taught you anything as a writer? Is there some way that you've grown in, in having to put the teacher hat on?
1: Um, Well, first off, I'm super proud that AFI was named the number one film school in the United States over all the others for the second, third year in a row by The Hollywood Reporter. So that's exciting. Um, I think that what you see teaching at film school is the disconnect between what their dream is, what they think their screenplay is, and what I'm reading on the page. And so... uh, What you get at AFI and what is so powerful at AFI are writing seminars. So super small classes, five to eight people. And week after week, people are reading your work and giving you their honest feedback. And you can tell when students are excited. You can tell when students are confused. And my advice to every young writer, simple advice, is get yourself a writing group could be start with two people, three people, four people, five people. You can meet once a week, every other week, you can meet once a month. But having that, someone read your work, having to have a deadline where you're going to have to turn in certain number of pages, and then having to get the feedback. So a lot of times, I think the disconnect happens is they think they're telling me this, whatever story they think they're telling me, but on the page, it's not there and that goes back to what i said at the very top of our conversation which is writing is rewriting so it doesn't mean they can't get there it doesn't mean that just because i'm not seeing it on the page or the other students aren't seeing it on the page which means by the way it's probably not on the page so it's like okay why is it not on the page it can be very simple it could be missing a word it could be missing a whatever it can also be bigger and structural so the key in my opinion, is getting that feedback from others. You think it's all there. You think you've written Star Wars. But the truth is, if others aren't getting it, for whatever reason, they're not getting it. And they're good people. They're honest people. They're really trying to do their best in root for you. And I've just you know, seen it where it's like, it's not there. And so it's like, rewrite it so that we do get it.
0: Oh. I love that. How... How do you take notes and implement them when somebody gives you notes? Like what's your process for receiving and implementing notes?
1: So getting notes is never easy.
0: Um, as I said, I've been a professional
1: writer for 25 years. This is, you know, what I do. Um, I think the answer is I just listen, Right. So I really, 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 really try and listen. I really try and understand what are they saying. And, you know, there's an expression in Hollywood, the note beneath the note, like what's going on here? Sometimes it's like, oh, it's really simple. Like, I just wasn't clear. Like, those are the easy notes. But sometimes something else is going on and you don't know what it is and you have to think about it. So, you know, you always, you know, for the most part, if, if you're getting critical notes, it's exhausting. It's emotionally draining. And, you know, I usually just try and write as much down as I possibly can. Sometimes I'll even run a tape recorder because, you know, your brain is going into fight or flight mode and you may not be hearing it all clearly. And then I try and take a day and go, okay, what's going on here? What's not what are they not connecting with? Right. And uh, sometimes the note can be terrible. Sometimes the note can be their fear. So it can be a producer who's scared, you know, like they don't like something. They think there's something wrong in the script. And sometimes they can be 100% right. So, you know, I, I have my trusted people who I'll show scripts to. I generally show my wife first, you know, like she's a great read and she'll give me feedback. She's a professional writer too. But you as a writer, the trick to notes, I think is, listening like it's really hard and i've seen this at afi where someone starts arguing with you it's like listen listen to my notes don't listen to my notes you know and especially at a place like afi like if i'm working with a film producer if i'm working with a studio or a network they're paying me i have to listen to them but me as a teacher (laughs) you can take my notes or not take my notes but i'm telling you if everyone in the classroom is saying the same thing You, as a writer, need to hear it.
0: When we first met, you had just, uh, you were in the middle of making Rob the Mob. And then I got to see it. And it was amazing to have known you before and then like watching this incredible film come out. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got that movie made?
1: So, you know, uh, when people ask about, oh, what should I write? I say, well, you really like it because best case scenario, you're going to be living with this project for seven plus years. You know, best case scenario. So Rob and Mob came about because I had seen, well, I had known a story. There was this rumor that people were robbing mafia social clubs and I had heard this rumor and then suddenly there was a trial and there was a trial going on. So I said, I'm going to fly to New York and I'm going to go to the trial. And again, original voice. I went to the trial. The scenes in the movie of Michael Pitt and Nina going to the trial, that's what I did. I really did go. And then the moments when he went to the Mafia Social Club, that's what I did. I really was just kind of being a a reporter. So it was all fresh. It was all original. I wrote this script. It got great response, great reception. And I got a lot of meetings and nothing. Like no one wanted to make it. Until my manager, Dave Alpert, at the time, he sent it to a producer, Bill Teitler, and we really tried to get it made. We tried to meet with directors, we met with different actors, and nothing until Raymond De DeFellita, unbelievably talented New York City director, read the script and said, yeah, I know how to make this film. And Raymond brought in Andy Garcia, and we sent the script to Michael Pitt and he said yes. And we met this unbelievably talented young actor Nina Arianda, who has since gone on to huge, huge, huge success. And we just had an amazing cast. I mean, it was like when I look back at who was in that, I mean, I mean Michael Rispoli, who I just saw in the offer, Ewell Vasquez, Samira Wiley from Orange is the New Black. Bert Young, Jeremy Allen White, Joe Gannis Goli, Gary Pastore. It was just like on and on and on. It was just this, like it was just crazy. And so it was this really positive, uh, just it just brought in so many wonderful people and we just all had a great time.
0: That from when you were at that trial to when that movie was released, how long of a, of a time period was that?
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, I think it was like seven years, eight years, like a long time, a long time with, by the way, roller coaster rides, like, you know, uh, not to spoil it, but like at one point, the producer was like, I think the ending doesn't work. I'm like, well, it's the ending or at another time. uh, You know, it was just there were just so many kind of crazy notes that got thrown at me as people are trying to get a movie made and it's really hard to get a movie made. It's a lot of luck. It's a lot like I've had other projects that I thought would go and didn't. So there's a lot of luck. There's a lot of like things just come together and the movie gods smile upon you, but you don't know when that's going to happen.
0: Are you somebody then that always has multiple pots on the stove, multiple scripts and different parts of development? What does that look like for you?
1: I don't think you can be, I don't think you can have career longevity as a professional writer if you don't have multiple going at all times. So I always have ideas that I'm kind of brainstorming. I have ideas that I'm about to go out and pitch with. I have ideas that people are paying for me to write. Uh, I have another film right now that uh, you know, this script that they've just got a big director on and they tell me that a big star is about to sign on. So all of those things are super exciting, but I can only control what I can control. So in other words, if a producer has a script of mine and then now there's a director and now he's talking to a movie star, I I can't be involved in that. Like that's not, I guess there are times when I would be, but this is a script they bought from me and you know, they're not asking for my help and That's that. So instead, you know, you focus, like in anything in life, the best use of your time is focusing on what you can control, what you can do. So I'm always trying to come up with the next thing. And how can I get that out into the world?
0: Are there any hard lessons that you've learned through your career?
1: I often think about like, you know, people want to know like, well, I mean, I have a lot of friends who started out and they're not here. And I'm gonna say my best advice is uh, you know, what are you gonna do to uh what are you gonna do when you get knocked down? What are you gonna do when you get the bad news? What are you gonna do when they tell you Rob the mob is not getting made? Like, are you unpleasant? Are you a jerk? Are you what are you, you know, what are you doing? And the answer is uh my favorite song, I down and then I get up again. Cause that's all you can do is just keep going. Um, that's the answer. Like, uh, I've had friends who made one bad movie and then they never made another movie. And again, what I will say is, yeah, most first movies suck. You know, most first screenplays suck. Most, uh, first acting jobs suck. So you gotta, what are you going to do? You got to get up. And part of that is like, okay, well, how are you dealing How are you paying the bills? How are you paying the rent? And so, you know, you have to not assume that the good times are going to be there forever. You have to figure out, well, what am I going to do to to keep, you know, the lights turned on?
0: What's next, Jonathan? Is there anything that you can tease us about that you're working on right now?
1: So I'm about to go out with a pitch uh, with two other super talented writers. So we're going to take out a TV pitch, which I'm very excited about. Um, then I really, 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 really want to, I, I like, I want to take my own advice and start directing little shorts and just try it out. Like iPhone, see where it goes, because there are films, there are scripts that I've written that I know would be great. And yet they're just sitting on my shelf. There's a lot of other scripts that I've written that I know the world should not see, and they should stay in my drawer. But the ones that I'm most excited about are a few scripts that I go, okay, well, how am I going to figure out a way to get this made? So, you know, I'm going to take my own advice and use my iPhone and go make a couple of shorts.
0: Yes. Jonathan, thank you so much for being on this show.
1: Oh, my gosh. Russell, such a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I, I, I can't believe this all started because we were hiking mountains in uh, Hollywood.
0: We should do it again. I think I'm up for another one.
1: All right. Whenever you're ready, tell me. I'm in. I'm ready to hike. I love it. I can't wait.
0: All right. Great seeing you, Russell. Great seeing you, too. You can find out more about Jonathan at robthemobwriter.blogspot.com. You can find out more about me on Instagram at writewithruss. And you can find out more about the show at screenplaying. We'll see you next week.